go to uh, uh, Luke 11, and verse 11, he says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? And we would say, of course not. And then he says, or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Okay, that's pretty, pretty basic a scripture. I've read this scripture many times. I don't know if I've ever heard a message on it before. But the, the part I want to focus on, if you, and some versions say, if you being evil, does anyone's version say that? I got a couple. Okay. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? And here's what, I, what I'm trying to break down here is the fact that God is a real person. And I think, I think we're starting to see that a little bit. But we need to see this more and more, that, that God is a real, he's a real person. He's not a, like Norm said, not a faraway deity or, you know, someone hiding behind a cloud. He's hiding from us. Unless we pray just the right way, real hard with fasting and all, he's not going to pull the cloud away and let us see him. He's not like that. He's a father. And I want to just, I want this verse to have some context. I've shared this a little bit in our GHOP at the Grace House of Prayer. I've shared this verse with them so they're familiar with the concept. But before I knew the Lord, I was an alcoholic, I had a foul mouth. I smoked two packs a day, cigarettes and other things, and I gambled and, you know, just I was like a bad guy. I really, uh, you know, when Jesus is talking to these guys, they weren't probably as evil with as many things as I had. I was, I was pretty much, I was a bad guy. I would, I would be in bars all day and night and get in fights and, you know, everything. And, uh, but we had these two little boys. When, when the first one was born... Uh, it was like, wow, how many experienced that at the, the, at the birth of your first child fathers? You're like, wow, this is awesome. My son, you're like, man, I remember looking at him and this kid already. I mean, he was perfect. My son, Tommy, he was perfect. Awesome. I'd brag about him to all my friends. My brother lived 500 miles an hour or 500 miles an hour, 500 miles from me. And uh, his son was, I don't know, six months or eight months older, and he was always bragging about his son. And I'm like, wait till you see my son. And I mean, we actually met in the middle in Des Moines, Iowa, to compare them to see who was, like, the best. And I mean, like, you know, look at the arm. I mean, they were just, they hadn't done anything yet. They hadn't done anything. All they did was cry and mess their diapers. That's all they did. And I'm, I'm smitten in love with this. I was still a bad guy. I still acted the same way at the bar. It didn't change me a bit. I acted the same way with everybody I met. But when I was with this little boy, it was like, oh, man. 
I love him. You know, we had our second son, and it was the same way. It's like, oh, Alex, man. I mean, this kid was born with a six-pack. I mean, he was like ripped, had these big Popeye forearms. You know, I'm an ex-athlete, so it's like, man, that's what you're looking for, you know, and your kid. And, I mean, these two guys, I was so proud of them. When they got a little bigger, I took them to the park. I mean, we would go to the park every day, take them to the park, chase them around, play hide-and-seek, make them chase me. I was in love with those kids, but I was evil. You hear what I'm saying? This helps me put the scripture into perspective. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your father, then, or to your sons, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to you? And I want to I relate this now to... Uh, to the relationship that I had with my father just for a minute. I'll just, I'll just tell one story. And my father and I reconciled before he died beautifully the last five or six years with my dad. I, I would spend weeks out taking care of him, you know, by myself. He was like, you know, 88 years old or whatever. And I would spend that time, and I was there, you know, when they put him in hospice and, you know, up to right before he died and everything. And so I reconciled beautifully with my father. So... I don't want you to think I have this attitude toward my father. <clears throat> but he had 12 kids. You know, I'm number eight. So I'm like pretty far down on the totem pole to where, you know, when you have your first couple kids, you're like, oh, they're awesome. And then three, four more, you're like, what's your name? Then after like down to eight, it's like, does this kid really live here? I mean, and uh, so my dad had this saying, okay. And in the things that your father does, your earthly father does, set you up for the way you see God. And this is really important for prayer. I found this to be really important. But when any of us kids, because I had four younger ones too, you know, I had four younger ones plus me and all the other ones. But anytime we would go to my dad and say, Dad, here's how he would respond. He would say, stop. If it involves time, energy, or money, the answer is no. I mean, I, I heard that all the time. Anytime you needed something, it was like, stop. It was like, come here, buddy, sit on my lap. It was like, if you need anything that's going to cost me time, energy, or money, the answer is no. Okay? Now, he's still, I mean, my dad's still housed us, fed us, I don't know how he clothed us all, you know, and, and put the heat on in the winter and the fan on in the summer because there was no AC back then. You know, he still met our needs. But I want you to tell, I want to tell you that, that that concept of a father, even though I didn't treat my kids that way, that affected the way I saw God. In the last few years, I mean, I've, I mean, I've changed dramatically over the time I've been a believer. But this passage does something to me because I start to see the way, I mean, if, if I was as messed up as I was, and I loved my sons and my daughters, my, this is my best friend, my daughter, Alyssa, right? Raise your hand, Alyssa. 
high, higher, higher. She had all her kids with her, all five kids last night. They were all in a line. Went back there. How are you guys doing? Okay, if I, being evil, loved my son, I mean, I was a, I was a bad guy. How much more does our Father in heaven love us? You see, because when we stumble and when we trip up and when we fall into that old sin again or when we do it one more time, we, we've gone to God so many times with our issue. And, of course, we'd all like to be delivered forever from our issues, but some of these things are almost like a thorn in the flesh to us. And we go one more time, we feel like a hypocrite. Here I am again, God. Can you? And we, we're afraid to even look him in the eye anymore. You know, we're just like, okay, I confessed it. Is there enough blood left? Is there enough blood? Maybe you're afraid you're going to use up the last drop of mercy from God's blood, from Jesus' blood, if you come one more time. Has anyone ever experienced that? None of you ever. You ever felt like you were right on the edge? Like, man, if I do one more sin, this is... Has anyone ever just... Okay, we got one honest person here. Two, three, okay. And uh, that's the way I was thinking about God. Like, if it costs me time, energy, or money, the answer is no. Do you see what I'm saying? And as we're pressing into prayer, and I know there's several of you, I know you guys, your hearts are like, this is like easy for you, and you've passed this test like a hundred times. And but I, I really want to, I really want to cultivate the idea that the Father, more than even what I just shared, is a real person. You know, I was taught in Bible college, God is sovereign. He is. He is almighty. He is. He's holy, holy, holy. He is. He's a consuming fire. He is. You know, he releases judgments on the earth. He does. And I would think all, you know, he never, he's unchangeable. Can't change God. And I would get this picture of of the father sitting on a throne like this. And if it costs time, energy, or money, forget the answer is no. Like this rigid person, plus with all the burning, you know, the flames of fire and the all-consuming fire going on around him, is like, that is not the most inviting place to come to. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And I, and I, what I'm trying to say out of this is that as big as he is, as great as he is, I mean, he's almighty, created the universe. We talk about that God a lot. The one who's almighty, the one who's everlasting, the one who has no beginning or end, the one who is just magnificent, and he is all those wonderful things. Thank heavens. But the way he chose to reveal himself to us is not like that, but it's as a father. This is the way the father of glory, the maker of the universe, 
the God who's going to pour out his wrath on his enemies, not on his children. I want you to hear that. There is real wrath coming to his enemies, but you are not his enemies. So I'd have like the schizophrenia in my head about who God is. Okay, I'd hear a message on love, love, love. Then the next week it's the commandments and don't break the commandments. You're going to face this God of wrath. You know, and then he's love, love, love. Then, you know, you better watch your step because God's looking over you and he's going to crush you any minute. And he's love, love, love. But you know what I mean? Going back and forth. Has anyone ever done that? I like it when you go, yeah, amen, Tom, you're right. I get it. Okay. Pay that guy a dollar back there. And those, those, all those concepts and ideas about who God is are true. But when Jesus came to reveal the Father or to reveal God to mankind, he reveals him as a father. He calls him the Father over and over and over again. My Father, our Father. My father, our father. And if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does our father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? You see what I mean? Jesus is saying, he's my father. He's like awesome. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's like the perfect father. When, when my uh, boys were younger, we had these uh, best friends. I'm not going to tell you their names, but... We'd, it was a long ride out to their house and back, and I'd say, hey, man, what do you guys think? And they were like, man, I'll just tell you his first name was Steve. That's Steve. Like, if, if I weren't your dad, who would you want to be your dad? Oh, man, Steve. He's, like, he, he's the perfect dad. And I'm just thinking, you know, if you can imagine the perfect dad who comes to you with a problem. I mean, you come to him with a problem. Help me get that back. We come to him with a problem. We have an issue. We just want to be with him. My daughter comes over just because she wants to be with us. I go see her just because I want to be with her. And not because she did something. I just love, I'm not, I don't need something. I like it when she does stuff for me. That's great. But I like her better just because I like her. You know what I mean? I like to be with her. Our father likes to be with us and he likes us to be with him. And I just want you to imagine a father who I go to. Norm's the father. Hey, Dad, I'm, you know, I'm coming. No, he's not like that. He's like the mean father. And I come to him and I go, oh, God, uh, here I am to pray. Father, here I am. And he's going, I see things you don't see. I see darkness in your heart that you don't see. I know everything you've done. La, 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 la. And you're like, oh, no. I don't want to go to that. You see what I'm saying? When I come to God, now you can open your arms, Storm. Open your arms because I'm jumping up there, Dad. Hey! You know, I, I come to the Father. His arms are open wide. And in prayer, we have got to cultivate this picture of the Father being this warm, welcoming embrace. Okay, the Father is a real person. When it says he searches our heart, he searches our heart. He's like, 
He searches your heart, and he's like, man, this Michael really loves me. I just searched his heart. He, lo- he loves me more than he even knows he loves me. He's not searching our heart looking for bad stuff. Anybody can do that. Find a talk show ra- radio host to follow you around for three days, and they'll have, they'll have enough material on you to, to down, you know, criticize you for a year. That's the easiest job in the world. The Father is seeing the good in us. Jesus described a a merchant looking for a pearl of great price. This is in Matthew 13. He's looking for a pearl of great price, and when he finds one, he finds one. He sells everything he has to come and buy that pearl to rejoice over it. You are the pearl of great price. Just... Put your hand, just ask the Lord, is that true? Is that true? Is that real? Is that really true? How much do you really love me? You see, we zip, we, we, that's what scripture meditation is about. It's about getting in the place with God where you're taking these scriptures and you're going, wow, can this really be true? Can his love for me be this strong? And he reveals it, and he's like, yes, it is. And we're like, oh, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend more time with you. It's not like yes, yes, and no, no. Okay, now I want to talk. Do you guys get that? I could go on about that. Taking a cough drop. Pull that one. Don't start talking. I don't know who that guy is. Okay. It wasn't my idea to bring him here in the first place. <clears throat> One of the elders did. Okay. I want you to think about Jesus now. Because Jesus said, he said, with the love the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You know, he tells us to abide in his word, and he says, and, you know, you can even become a friend of God. Now, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, it says in Hebrews 1. He's the exact, the express image of the Father. So think about what we're talking about, the Father. You come to the Father, hey, Father, I, you know, if I went to the Father... I used to do this to my son-in-law who was starting a business, and I'd be like, when, when you start making money, I expect you to buy me a Cadillac, a nice new one. And I, I think I said it enough times in him that he would finally get it and actually make enough money to buy me a Cadillac, but he, not yet. But I, I, if I plant that idea in his head enough, he will actually, God's not like that, though. You know what I mean? God's not like that. He's like, man, Michael, you need a car, and you need a good car. Let's, let's get you a good car. He doesn't want I used to drive cars. I drove this one old car it, in Chicago. It was rusted out in the floor. And, I mean, it was like the Fred Flintstone car, man. You hit the brakes, you might as well stick your foot down there to slow it down. <laughs> I had another car in Chicago. I mean, we were broke out there. I had another car out there. It was a big uh, Buick or something, but 
you would pour uh, oil, transmission fluid in it, and I just kept the case in the back seat. Because every, I mean, every time you parked, it was just all gone. Whatever you, you know, so you pour, I mean, I'm talking about every day, putting a quart of transmission fluid in there. Yeah. God wants to give good gifts to us, but it's not about that. He is the gift. He's the treasure for us. He's our portion in this life. Him, God. He's really the answer to our prayer. When I'm praying and I'm seeking God, it's because not because I'm going to seek God for a few minutes, praise his name a few minutes, spin around, and now I say, okay, Papa, I need this or I need that. That's not how it is. As we connect with him and we meditate on his word, we become more like him and our heart actually becomes more like his heart. And we actually begin to think like he thinks and feel like he feels. And we get the same values over time. And pretty soon, we, I, I almost know what God's going to say before I ask him a lot of times. I mean, he surprises us all the time. But uh, because of what his heart is like. You know, if you read the Beatitudes, I think Gary was talking about that last night. I took the Beatitudes one time, just the first, there's eight, but I took the first seven. And I, I would, on Sunday, I would meditate on the first one, then the second one on Tuesday, and I would go through them. I thought I'll do this for a while, because my prayer life changes uh, quite a bit. And uh, for six months, I did that. And I would just use that, that, that Beatitude, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for the king, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I would use that for, you know, my opening kind of intro to the prayer time. Sometimes I would do it for 10 minutes. Sometimes I would be on that verse for 45 minutes or an hour and a half. And it was like, after a while, you look at the Beatitudes and you see that God is saying, look, this is what I'm like. I'm poor in spirit. God's not poor, but he's poor in spirit, which, which means basically he, he took the thing that was the most valuable to him, the most precious thing, the glorious riches of heaven, his own son, and gave him to us. He was poor. He was ready to release. He, he released everything of value to us so that we could become rich, so that we could have the, the kingdom of heaven. You know, if you take some time and meditate on those, I tell you what, those, the way you see God, he mourns over sin. He's meek. Aren't you glad that God is meek? Come on. No, I mean it. <laughs> some of our politicians and entertainers sure aren't meek, but God is meek, and I'm so glad he is. Because we would all been crushed, and I mean, the earth would have been born, burned up forever before we were ever born. We wouldn't even know. We wouldn't even be here right now. <clears throat> okay, I'm just, I just want to talk about Jesus now. The exact replica of the Father. He live. He lives a life, sinless life, up to thirty years old. Then he begins his ministry. He's the Holy One. You know, he gets baptized, and the Spirit, like a dove, comes on him. He goes into the desert, fast forward. I mean, this is a holy man. Then he picks these guys, like Gerald Maldonado, 
He picks Gerald. He picks Greg. He picks Alan. He picks Vicky. He picks these guys, Michael, and all these different guys. And he's like, okay, I'm going to hang out with these guys for three and a half years, night and day. Now, think about it. If you were one of those guys and you're hanging, I'm, let's say I'm Jesus. You're Peter. You're Peter. I'll let you be John. John was, you know, he wanted to call fire down, but besides that. <laughs> can you imagine Jesus? Okay, they're, they've been camping out at night because they probably slept outside a lot. They walked the trails where all the, the horse dung and the cow dung was. They walked through that stuff. They had to bathe in a river a lot of times. I mean, they were just regular guys on this three-and-a-half-year journey. And could you imagine Jesus going to James? James, shape up. We're going into the synagogue. You look terrible, man. Comb your hair. Brush those teeth. Come on, shape up, will you? John, would your father teach this guy, huh? I mean, he does. he's sloppy. He's a mess. He's always late to the meetings. I say we're going to meet under the tree when the sun is at the highest point and he comes 10 minutes late. I'm just asking you, as a volunteer, if he was that uptight, I mean, he's perfect. He's holy. He knows everything about us. He knows our motives and our heart and everything. Do you think he was slapping those guys around like, get in shape, Peter, off the boat, in the lake. You're in the lake. You're... We're going to make you float an hour in the lake for like three hours right now. Detention time. You're out of here. Do you see what I'm saying? Who would stay with somebody like that? I mean, I had a brother like that. It was like, as soon as I could get away from him, I was long gone. I moved 500 miles away from that guy. I'm not talking about the first one I was telling you about. This is a different. I, I had seven brothers, okay? He was like Adolf Hitler. It was like, listen, we are not going to relate for very long to somebody who's always looking at our bad points. Some people go to prayer, and the first thing they, they do, oh, God, I'm a unworthy sinner. <laughs> and we start that thing out like that every time. God, show me my sin. I, we do this lady once early in the prayer movement. She was on a 40-day fast. Skinny is a rail. I mean, she was already skinny. Now she's skinny, really skinny. It's about day 20. She's been fasting for 25 days. And she's telling Louise and I, oh, oh, I ate a cookie. I ate a cookie. I, you know, just condemning herself. You know what I'm talking about? Because I ate a cookie. You fasted for 25 days. You fasted for 25 days, and all she could see is the, the mistake. Do you see what I'm saying? Come on. You know, when we pray at the house of prayer, we're coming to a happy God. Jesus is happy. Jesus is full of joy, and I'm telling you what, when Jesus went into town, the kids ran to him. Why did they run to him? They saw the joy on this guy, 
Like, man, look how happy he is. He's hugging everybody and kiss, get, kissing them and, you know, messing with the little kids and he's full of joy and, you know, yeah, let's see what he's all about. You see what I mean? But if he's like pointing the finger at everybody, you're not going to want to be around him. Now, did he point the finger at the Pharisees? Yes. Did he resist them? Yes. Did he even criticize them? Yes. Did he do the seven woes to them, you know, in uh, Matthew? Yes. Okay. But those guys had proven they had hardened their hearts, resisting the Holy Spirit. They would not have anything to do with them. All they were trying to do is trip him up. That was their whole job. Jesus like, no, you're evil. You're full of the devil. Your father is the devil, he told him. There's a different outcome for you than there is for these people who love me. See what I'm saying? Joey, is this making sense to you? Jesus is not this uptight religious character that we, you know, we picture in our minds. And I like the Jesus, the Jesus's. They're starting to make in the in the new newer TV shows and stuff. I mean, they're like, they're pretty cool guys. There was one Jesus where he's, no matter what would happen, he's just like, oh yeah, man, I love it. You know, it's just like he was a little bit more laid back. Yeah, he had a mission to do, but he knew who he was. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. You see what I mean? We could take off all the religion, all the pressure, all the performance, all of the pretense, because we know who we are. I'm a son of the living God who's in love with me, who invites me to sit on his lap, who holds me close to his heart, and nothing in all creation can separate me from his love. Okay? You guys see that? At the G-Hop, we are trying to cultivate a relationship with that God. Not some religious, uptight God. Yeah, he's going to pour his wrath out on the nations for those who resist and hate him and worship idols and have given their lives over to sin. But for his people, he has eternal pleasures at his right hand forevermore. You guys hear what I'm saying? He's a good, when we say he's a good God, he's not just good. He's not just compassionate. He is generous and kind, and he gives us way more than we really deserve. He gives us more. He's kind. Jesus describes himself in Matthew, uh, I think it's 11, where he's talking about, take my yoke upon me. He says, come to me, take my yoke upon me. If you're weary and heavy burdened, he said, I will give you rest. He says, for I'm humble and gentle of heart. It's not like he's a pushover. But he's saying, man, if you love me, I'm, I'm going to accept you hook, line, and sinker. You're mine, and nobody, says in John 10, can snatch you out of my hand. Let me, wrap, let me wrap it up with this. We are, we are moving toward the final days on earth. We're moving toward the final days on earth. The Lord is looking for a few, 
you know, like the Marines, a few good men. I had a vision one time in, when I was with Marvin Adams in Chicago. Uh, Chicago, oh my goodness, the, the city of Chicago is a desolate place for churches. Now, there's some good churches around the, you know, the suburbs. But I mean, in the inner city, which was, which was where we were ministering, and I had, I had this vision of this city being destroyed. I mean, it was all in ashes. And there was this huge angel with a shovel. And he was shoveling up all the ruins of the city. And there were bones, all these bones that had been burned up and crushed in, in, the, in this judgment. And he was shoveling and cleaning it up. And then the Lord appeared, and I was standing next to, the, I was standing next to Jesus. And he said... I'm just looking for a few friends. I'm looking for a few friends. He did not save you to make you a let me let me let me preface this a little bit. This is a serving church. This is a going church. This is a mission-based church, man. We're sending missionaries out. We're serving. We're doing all these things. But serving is not your primary relationship with God. Serving is not your primary, it's not even secondary relationship with God. We serve out of an overflow of love for him. He says, oh, Michael, I love you so much. You spend so much time with me. You know what I like you to do, son? And I know you're going to like this too when you, get, when you try it out. I'm going to give you this ministry. And then we try it out and we're like, hey. Wow, this this is amazing. It's fulfilling. And we start doing the ministry and all of a sudden we're we're in our calling. But that's not the primary reason. He chose us and you could see this in Mark 3. He chose the disciples to first be with him. That's right. And then to go out and preach. How are they going to preach a God they don't really know? We've done that for too long in that church. I remember I was saved like a couple weeks. I was already, you know, knew the gospel, four verses, you know, to win anybody to Jesus. I'm preaching it, everybody. You're going, you know what I mean? You're going to hell if you don't listen to me. I mean, I was not ready for that. But it was like the pastor so happy to have somebody out there sharing the gospel. He just pushed me out there. Now, we need our hearts changed, and that takes a little while. If every new believer would take six months, the first six months at least, and just spend that time getting to know God and to be known by him, do you think the great evangelist Jesus is going to let them not serve somewhere? You see what I mean? But we're out there serving with no anointing. We're using the little bit of anointing we have on everybody else, and then at the end, we don't have oil for our lamps. You know, we don't have the oil we need in, in the parable of the of wise and foolish virgins. We need to get oil. We need to store up oil. It says they had, this is Matthew 25, you can read it uh, later. They had vessels filled with oil besides their lamps, the wise virgins. The foolish ones only had oil in their lamps. And when they were trying to get through the dark night of the soul, the darkness that's coming on the whole earth, it's already here. They didn't have enough oil, and their lamps went out, and now they're out of oil. And Jesus, they got, while they're out looking for oil, the other virgins are allowed into the wedding, and the door is closed. 
And Jesus says, I never knew you away from me. It's kind of like Noah's Ark. He had the Ark, he had the Ark built for a hundred years. He's come, there's a flood coming. Repent, get on the boat. He couldn't get anybody on the boat. Finally, the door is shut and the flood comes and they're swept away because they didn't even, they weren't prepared. They didn't have any relationship with God. The times that are coming are going to be so weary, so wearying, confusing, filled with anxiety, filled with disorder, filled with deception, and they're here now. Does anyone read the news? Does anybody watch the the news? And they're so filled with deception. I mean, when you got when you have half the country telling this lie and the other half telling that lie, how do you know what's really the truth? And they tell it with such boldness and authority. It's like, wow. You tell me the Antichrist wouldn't feel completely at home in America right now? The Antichrist, the person who's coming, he would feel completely at home in Congress, in the Senate. Those guys would welcome him in. He would fit right in. That's, that's where our country's at. Don't deceive yourself. We're not going back. There might be a revival if we pray, but we're not going back to the, you know, Jamestown or, was it Jamestown? No. I'm close. Okay. Norm's like, yeah. We're not going back there. We're at the very end of the age. I'm calling you guys to start a prayer life if you don't have one. Start it. Get it started. A good place to do it. I'm just going to do a shameless commercial now. Shameless. We're starting this school of prayer next Thursday, this coming Thursday, at the G-Hop, which is right across the parking lot. There's a big sign over there. From 6.30 to 8.30, we're going to worship. You guys like to worship? We're going to worship and minister for about an hour, and then we're going we're gonna to learn these verses. And these are some of the most powerful verses in the Bible, and you guys are going to get your hearts changed. I challenge you all to be part of that. It's free. There's no reason you can't come. I had a couple real honest ladies tell me one time when we first started this, because we had Tuesday and Thursday night, and they're like, I don't know which night to come to. They said, uh, American Idol's on, and I'm just, I can't remember the TV show, but, you know, is on Thursday, and Dance with the Stars is on Tuesday. They're like, which, we'd have to really sacrifice to come to the house of prayer. I mean, are you for real? <laughs> The young guys are like, I don't I never seen either of those. Okay, let's pray. I want to pray for you. Hey, he loves you. Yeah. He's pleased with you. He delights in you. I want you to let let that stir in your heart that you're holy and blameless in his sight. In his sight. So stay in his sight. Keep your eyes locked on him. Let him let your heart be filled with the wonder of who he is. And he will, he will make everything else fit together. Seek first his kingdom and him, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. I ask you to seal these things. Seal these things in their hearts today. 
If any of you guys would like to uh, just rededicate your prayer life, if you want to come up here, the altar's open. If you want to kneel by your chair, you can. Uh, if you need to go home, go home. But, you know, by keeping you like this, you have just been praying and fasting. You already missed lunch, right? Snacks. Man, you guys are awesome prayer people. Okay, I'm just going to have Joey lead a song, and then you guys are free to stay, leave, do what you need to pray, do what you need to do, okay? Amen? Okay, give me a big hand. (laughs) Praise God. I love you guys. Thank you for being with us again.